It's been 15 months since I came out of a meeting where we focused on how to be prepared for the actions of the upcoming general conference. That would be in about 10 weeks in early May 2020. And the last thing we said to one another as we came out of that meeting was, and who knows what this coronavirus thing might mean for us. Who knew, indeed? Certainly none of us in that meeting had any idea what to expect in terms of what was coming. We had no idea that we'd be going through anything close to what we've been through. Maybe, maybe we would have to get some extra supplies so people could, you know, disinfect their hands when they came to church. Or maybe get some extra Kleenexes so people could, you know, cover their faces with their sneezes and their coughs. Maybe even we'd have to go so far as to close church for a week or two in the worst case scenario. We had no idea what we were about to endure. Here we are, 15 months later. And I don't need to list all the things we've been through because we're still very much part of it and we're all in that living memory stage, maybe even the traumatic imprint stage. We know what we've been through. There's a phrase in the Bible that kind of describes it, a short, simple phrase that boils it all down into a nutshell, as my dad likes to say. That simple phrase, patient endurance. Patient endurance. Does that sound a little bit like what we've been through? It includes suffering and death. It includes weariness and fatigue. It includes waiting and hoping. It includes being more patient than we ever thought we would have to have been. Hanging on for longer than we ever thought we would have to hang on for and not giving up. Holding on even when it's hard to hold on. Refusing to give up. Patient endurance. We find patient endurance in many places in the Bible. The one I want to spend a little bit of time with you today on is from the book of Hebrews. About halfway through the book of Hebrews, we come to this passage in chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, having patiently endured, Abraham obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves. And an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly 
to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath, so that through two unchangeable things, God's promise and God's oath, in which it is impossible that God would prove false, we who have taken refuge, we who have taken refuge, might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered. Over these past 15 months, and I realize nobody knows for sure how long we have yet to go, but over these past 15 months, I have often paused to marvel at how the churches are making it through this pandemic, in spite of so many unexpected obstacles and so many unanticipated challenges and so many unimagined adaptations, and in spite of how long it has all dragged on in spite of all the reasons why we should not have made it, we have made it. We are patiently enduring. Every church on the Alexandria district has made it so far through the pandemic. Praise the Lord. It is an amazing wonder to behold. And for me, the way I'm wired, it makes me wonder, why? Why have all the churches made it when so many other groups or organizations or companies or businesses have floundered or faltered or gone defunct? Why has the church been able to patiently endure and in some ways even to thrive. Why? This passage helps us to understand. And what it boils down to is this. The key to patient endurance is hope. Hope is the remedy that makes patient endurance possible. And where does hope come from? Well, hope can come from all kinds of places. We can get hope from, like, a pep talk. But that kind of hope probably won't last very long. We can get hope from the vaccine. And that hope 
is very helpful against the virus. But the endurance involves more than the virus, doesn't it? We're realizing we have troubles that the stresses of the pandemic have surfaced. We have a pandemic of white supremacy and racism that infects our society in deep and profound ways that this vaccine will not touch. We have a scourge of mass shootings and violent hate that is plaguing us. We have troubles with economic anxieties and uncertainties and inequities that are troubling some of us more than others, which is a problem in itself. Where do we find the hope to patiently endure in the face of all of this? We need more than a peptide, and we need more than the vaccine. We need hope that reaches deep into the heart of reality, into the way things are set up, and has a reservoir that will not run out as long as these kinds of troubles persist. We, we need a hope that goes deep and lasts long. And where does that hope come from? I know some of you love the hymn, as I do, My Hope is Built, which we sang earlier in the service. I have been singing that hymn for longer than I can remember, belting out the words about, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I have been singing that hymn and tapping my toes for a long time. And we get to this verse, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. You know that verse? I sang that verse for decades without a clue to what it was talking about, about this anchor holding within the veil. But finally, I realized that that part of the hymn comes from this passage in the book of Hebrews. You know, if we keep reading in the book of Hebrews, we can see that it's talking about the heavenly version of the earthly temple in Jerusalem. The earthly temple that's no longer there, just a little part of it, the Wailing Wall, but it was standing strong and tall during the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. And that temple has a holy place inside of it. And inside of the holy place, there is a holy of holies space. And what separates the holy place from the holy of holy places, what separates it is a curtain, a veil. Behind the curtain, inside the holy of holies, in the like holiest place, the Ark of the Covenant sat. 
which was considered to be the footstool of God on earth, where God's presence rested on earth in a way like nowhere else, inside the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was like a box and had things inside of it. It had the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and it had a jar of manna, and it had the stepherd's shaft of Aaron. It had some very special things inside the Ark of the Covenant, but you know what was not there? Not inside the Ark of the Covenant, not inside the Holy of Holies. There's no anchor behind the veil. Not in the earthly temple. This is the same temple where the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom as Jesus is crucified. And it's the same temple that the Roman Empire pretty much destroys in the year 70 AD when they sack the whole city of Jerusalem. But there's still the heavenly version of this temple. That's what Hebrews is talking about. Nobody's going to touch that. And Hebrews is showing us this heavenly version that endures forever. And in the heavenly courts, there is still this place behind the veil, deep in the heart of reality. And there is now an anchor there. It has entered in behind the veil, secured in the divine light of the triune God. It's like the anchor is attached to the throne of God in the center, the control center of the cosmos. The anchor of hope has entered in behind the veil of the deepest reality. It wasn't there before, but it has now entered along with Jesus, the forerunner who has entered in behind the veil. It doesn't say this exactly, but it seems pretty clear to me that the way the anchor got behind the veil is Jesus brought it there with him. After his earthly life and death, his resurrection and ascension, Jesus takes his seat at the right hand of the heavenly throne and he brings this anchor. It's the anchor that is connected to the promise which is assured by the oath that comes directly from God. And in his life and death and resurrection, Jesus has fulfilled the promise. And he has shown that God's oath is true. This anchor of hope goes deep. It is sure. It is steadfast. Jesus Christ has won the victory over the powers that would challenge God's kingdom. Jesus Christ has defeated the power of sin and death. In his life and death and resurrection, he has shown that he is the Lord in union with the triune God in the heavenly control room. And because Jesus Christ is Lord, there is always hope. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, there is always hope. Can you say that with me? Because Jesus Christ is Lord, there is always hope.
hope along with faith and love. There is always hope. The anchor holds. That is where our resilience comes from. That is why we have made it. We are anchored in Jesus, and he is Lord. Therefore, the anchor holds. And of course, an anchor of hope in the throne room of the multiverse is not going to do anybody any good unless it somehow has a line that is coming from the anchor so that we can hold on to it, right? An anchor with no line is like useless, right? I mean, an anchor is meant to hold a ship steady. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Well, that anchor somehow has to be connected to you. And in our passage, it says, we who have taken refuge are strongly encouraged to seize the hope that is set before us. How do we seize it? There must be some kind of a line that comes from the anchor down to reach us in our own predicaments. Some line that comes from the heart of God into our path, into our awareness, into our life, so we can grab hold of the line and be connected with the hope. Right? And as I picture this whole scenario, with Jesus and the anchor in the throne room of God and a line attached to the anchor that reaches into our lives, I don't see Jesus just sitting there watching like a disinterested observer. No, Jesus has run this race on our behalf. He has a vested interest. He has given his life for our salvation. He has risen from the dead to usher us into the kingdom of everlasting life. Jesus is doing everything he can to get us to take hold of the line so that we can have the hope and the faith and the love that we need for all of the trials and the storms and the plagues and everything else. Jesus wants to rescue us and get us so Jesus isn't just sitting there every once in a while kind of glancing over to see if anybody's like, you know, tugging on the line. He's not just watching uh, like with no interest as we try to take hold of the line and desperately try to hold on, you know, like wishing us good luck. He's not just standing there shaking his head as people are struggling to hold, saying like, tsk, tsk. To those who are about to let go, judging them on the strength of their own ability to make it on their own, no way. Jesus is doing everything he can to get us to grab hold of the line, and once we've taken hold, Jesus is doing everything he can to pull us through, to pull us in. Remember what it says in the first chapter of Acts when Jesus ascends to heaven and he promises to send us power through the Holy Spirit so that we can be his witnesses, so that we can let the whole world know about this 
deep and everlasting hope and love, he promises to send us power. And I'm thinking that this line attached to the anchor is all part of that same dynamic. This line that connects us to the throne room of God is all tied together with the Holy Spirit and Jesus sending us power. In fact, the line that Jesus is using is not like some kind of a literal rope. It's a line of witnesses. It's people like you and me that Jesus has taken hold of and who have taken hold of Jesus and who have received not only the promises of a presence, but the reality of the Holy Spirit, the practicality of the power that is real and visceral and life-transforming. The rescue line that Jesus uses includes the power of the Holy Spirit raising up witnesses of people like you and me. And we have an impact on the world with the Holy Spirit working in us that brings hope and help and encouragement and comfort during this time of patient endurance. Jesus has all kinds of resources, from the wonders of nature to the inner stirrings of the human spirit, but one of the key ways that Jesus maneuvers that line that's attached to the anchor so that he can get hold of us is by using the line of Christian witnesses. The lives, the words, the deeds of people like you and me also to then fill people with hope and never fails to witness to the power of God and connect us to the anchor of Jesus Christ the Lord. So as someone who has been part of that line, as well as someone who has been holding on to that line for dear life, and as I stand now at this moment of reflection, I'm here today to share my witness that the anchor holds. The anchor holds. Some of you may have heard that I'll be retiring this year, just a few weeks. 43 years after I was ordained, 46 years after the Lord called me to be a pastor, a lot has happened during that change. The world has changed. I have changed. I have been part of some amazing and wondrous things, including what's happened here on the Alexandria District, where I have spent 19 of those years. And I have been blessed with the honor of serving as the district superintendent for these past seven years. And we have been through some stuff, haven't we? We have grown together, we have struggled together, we have patiently endured together. Over the years, I have shared with people as they rejoiced with deep gladness, and I have been with people who anguished in deep sorrow and suffering. I have celebrated great accomplishments, and I have protested great injustices, and I have endured great failures. My soul has been lifted up, and my soul has been cast down. I have been buoyed by 
evidence of God's love at work in the world, and I have been dismayed by fear that the world is forsaking God. My faith has been rock solid, and my faith has been shaky. My prayer life has been deep and profound, and my prayer life has been shallow and sketchy. I have prospered and I have struggled. I have been encouraged and discouraged, forgiving and forgiven, helping and helped, beloved and betrayed, perceptive and perplexed, foolish and wise, believing and doubting, eager to hold on, ready to throw in the towel. It has been quite an adventure. And I'm here today to tell you that the anchor holds. The same inner voice that called me in the fall of 1975 is still calling me today. The same presence that inspired me as a young idealistic pastor is still inspiring me today as a seasoned principal pastor. The same Lord who forgave me then is still forgiving me now. The same word that excited me then is still exciting me now. The same sacraments that strengthened me then are still strengthening me today. A lot of things have changed, but through it all, the anchor holds. That is my testimony. And it's not mine alone. Many of you can say amen, because it's your testimony too. You have persevered through the storms the personal storms, the family storms, the community storms, the church storms, the national and international and global storms. Through it all, the anchor has held for you also. And if you are looking for an anchor to take hold of, that you can hold on forever, this is it. The love of Jesus Christ is the strongest power in the world. It has defeated sin. It has conquered death, and nothing in all of creation can undo it. It is the anchor that keeps us steady and secure in the faithful goodness and mercy of God, no matter what. The anchor holds. And we're not the first to know this. We're surrounded by this great line of witnesses who have gone before us. People who in the last century have lived through two world wars and a nuclear arms race that could have destroyed the planet. And through it all, the anchor held. People who hundreds of years ago endured the ravages of plagues, wiping out whole cities decimating countries, casting the pall of death over wide swaths of the planet. And through it all, the anchor held kings and queens, emperors and emirs, presidents and prime ministers have come and gone. Political parties, armies, navies have flourished and faded away. Empires have risen and fallen. Nations have been born and died. And through it all, one thing has been constant, unfailing, steady, and sure. One thing has been true and faithful, tried and dependable, trusted and proven, or and or. 
Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he will come to judge the quick and the dead. Jesus is Lord. He is the Savior. The anchor holds. And it is real as reality ever gets. We may not always feel it. We may just need to believe it. We may not even always believe it. We may just need to know about it. And we may not even know about it. We might just have to, like, intuit it in the mystery of our souls. But whether we feel it or not, whether we believe it or not, whether we know it or not, whether we intuit it or not, the good news is that it doesn't matter anything about what we do. The anchor holds. It holds for you and for me and for every single person who is created in the image of God. The anchor holds for all. For all. Because Jesus Christ is Lord, there is always hope and faith and love. Thanks be to God. So it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forever, world without end. Will you join me now as we affirm our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed? In whom do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.